and thank you for tuning in to Illuminate, Navigating the Unknown Through Creative Leadership. I'm Sarah Hempstead, Principal in Charge and CEO of Schmidt Associates. With a background in historical preservation and community engagement and a passion for creating sustainable places, we are thrilled to welcome Joseph Jarzin, Joe, to the Schmidt Associates family. As a leader in our community studio in Indiana, he will be using his talents to create community connections, enhance relationships with key decision makers, and help clients imagine and then create spaces that make a difference in the built environment, transformational projects. Joe joined us in September, and as a client liaison, he seeks to understand owners' perspectives and bring the right design professionals to the table to realize those visions. After 21 years in the nonprofit sector and the past 11 working in community engagement and strategy with our friends at Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, Joe is proud of his successful preservation efforts to save the Richmond Depot, designed by Daniel Burnham, his vision to establish an impactful outreach division for Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, creating strong relationships with neighbors, and realizing how his contributions have led to his colleagues' successes. Outside of work, Joe sits on the City of Indianapolis Greenways Development Committee and is a member of Indiana Landmarks, and he serves as treasurer of the Franklin County Citizens for Historic Preservation. Additionally, he's authored two books about the National Road and has been featured in a PBS documentary on this topic. And here to talk to me about his transition and his plans in the community studio is Joe Jarson. Joe, thanks for coming. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and glad to be part of the uh, Schmidt Associates team. So thanks. Awesome. So looking back to your history, you have a Bachelor of History from Ohio State University. You have a Master of Science in Historic Preservation and Conservation from Columbia. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how you got interested in historic preservation in the first place. Well, absolutely. Thanks. Um, it's been uh, a journey that started with my family, right? Uh, traveling uh, summer vacations and all across the, the country. My parents had brought my sister and I all over the country visiting all the 50 states before I was fin finished with high school. Um, so that obviously being able to see that kind of diversity across the country you know, really instills um, that passion in a young kid's life, you know, to, to visit these places and, and want to continue that work and, and uh, continue to create a good built and natural environment for, for our community. So, yeah, that was kind of where all that started, you know, developing that appreciation for history. Um, in college, I met uh, Emily, my wife, today, but at that time we were friends and she helped to uh, introduce to me this notion of a field called historic preservation and uh, I was like, oh, that sounds like a really great way to actively become involved with history. And so that's um, after that point, I went and went to grad school in New York, which was a great excuse just to live in the city, <laughs> use that city as a laboratory and um, and of course, develop my career into this into this field. Okay, so you've spent 21 years now in the nonprofit sector doing uh, community involvement and engagement work, some of which touched on historic preservation, but some mm -hmm. of which didn't. So why don't you start with the notable projects, things that you're really proud of that were directly related to that passion for historic preservation, and then kind of how that grew into a more expansive look at what community involvement is. One, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, coming right out of Columbia, was uh, got this amazing opportunity to work for Indiana Landmarks. Mm -hmm. um, leading their an affiliate group of that of them at the time, the Indiana National Road Association. And so by uh, working with them in those two capacities, I had experiences all on the national, state, and local level. Uh, nationally, I was able to work with the National Scenic Byways Program and uh, be part of the selection committee for new byways that were being nominated. 
uh, on the state level, getting to work, of course, with the, the nation's premier preservation statewide organization under the leadership of Reed Williamson at the time, uh, gave, was just fantastic. It gave me the opportunity to develop interpretive panels for the National Road. Uh, we mentioned a couple of books that I wrote about the road couple of documentaries, one with Ball State and then one more recently on PBS uh, called 10 Streets That Changed America. Uh, so, what, I mean, coming right out of school, I went, what, what can a person ask for for a better opportunity? Then, of course, locally, you're working with the neighborhoods, the communities across the National Road and across the eastern region. Through that process, I worked on the Richmond Depot that you'd mentioned, the Brookville Valley House, the Greenfield Courthouse Square, all of these, which were all on Landmarks' 10 Most Endangered list. And that really required a lot of interaction with the community to really help make sure we saved that. And then, of course, at KIB, when I had the opportunity to work for them, formalizing that engagement experience, working with the neighborhoods across the city, learning about what is it that makes them important? Why do they want to improve their quality of life and, and trying to have that happen through the, the third resources that KIB could offer? So t- tell our listeners something that they don't know about the National Road. Oh, my. Okay. One thing that they may not realize, well, first of all, National Road through Indianapolis is Washington Street, and then across the state, US 40. One thing that you could see still today is in Putnam County, which is my favorite section of the road, you can actually get off of US 40, following the signs that we put up, and uh, drive across the Deer Creek Bridge, which is a beautiful concrete arch bridge, so our engineers out there will, will love to see this space. But on that bridge, when you get to that space, get out of your car, walk to the middle of the bridge, look over, and you can actually see several generations of the road. The original section, which was when the Conestoga wagons went down and crossed the river, uh, you can see the old bridge abutments from the uh, steel wrought iron bridge that is actually still there. They just moved it to another location right nearby. And then, of course, the, um, the bridge that you're on from the 1920s. And then in the distance, you can hear US-40 today. So four generations of the National Road right there in one spot. I, it's a beautiful space. That's very cool. Yes. That's very cool. So talk about um, community leadership, because working at the national level is is one level. Working at the state is another. But the highly personal nature of working with communities at a road that runs through their place and space. What have you learned about working with communities and community leaders to make them own something as as big and kind of unknowable, right, as, a, as their little piece of the National Road? No doubt. Absolutely. To do that, I mean, we've worked with, uh, when I was at Landmarks, not just the neighborhoods and the, the communities, the cities and towns along the National Road here in Indiana, but the other states. And so, you know, the National Road runs from Baltimore to St. Louis, you know, six states, all of which Maryland to Illinois, you know, you can only imagine the diversity there. Then you look at even here in Indianapolis, when I was at KIB, the various neighborhoods, Martindale, Brightwood, the near west side, it's, it's very different across the board and not one area is, is the same. It all really starts to get to know the people. What is it that they are wanting to do? What is it that's important to them in that work? And really kind of making sure that we understand that volunteers really make this happen. And with 21 years of experience in the nonprofit world, I got to know servant leadership front and center. (laughs) I will always be amazed by the amount of time people will commit to their community outside of work. And we're talking about people, you know, I I'm able to go home at night, spend time with my family. And I, you know, I'm very fortunate in that way. A lot of people don't have that uh, experience. 
And yet they still spend their time going out with a litter grabber, picking up litter along the streets or committing time to go into that neighborhood association meeting or fighting for a better school or whatnot in their neighborhood. That is all so important. And that's what has instilled in me to bring my daughters to the tree plantings and spend time volunteering our time to really get that into their sense that this notion of servant leadership starts with us, that we really need to put ourselves into the positions that others do. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask you about. As I look at your your long history of creative leadership, you know, one of the things that's notable is that you spend a lot of time in the extra not paid work life doing volunteer and community community activities, which is which is super admirable. How do you how do you pick those places where you uh, choose to spend that time? Because we all know it is a choice, right? We've got mm-hmm. families and dinners to make. And yes. uh, how do you pick the things that you get involved in? And what advice would you give to young people who are looking to do the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Professionally, when I'm working with the volunteers, a lot of our work that I've really appreciated, and I think I also see that here at Schmidt, mm-hmm. is that it, it starts with the community. You know, it starts with them coming to us. It's all grassroots driven. That's been the way from at Landmarks. That's the way it was at KIB. And, and it seems here as well as I'm, as I'm learning the, the ropes. That is so important to have them start and come to us and work with us and share with us what they want and what are their visions. So that way... It's not us going to them saying, well, this is what you need. We know everything and we're going to give it to you. No, that's not how it works. And so then the way that you uh, apply that to your own personal life is to really understand what is it that's important to you? For me, my family, it's making sure our children grow up, understanding the importance of, of the built and the natural environment. We have to see this stuff every single day of our life. Architecture is something that people don't necessarily always think about as being such an impactful piece of our of our daily life. And yet it is, and it impacts our quality of life. It impacts the way we view our community. So for me personally, I want to bring my daughters out and experience that and understand when they're looking at a building, what is it that makes that building important or not? And then they can help spend their time volunteering for organizations that help pursue the things that we really believe in. So I love that you're modeling that that behavior for your for your girls. I, I remember my daughter making her first architectural critique, which was she was still in a car seat, and we always looked at buildings. And mm-hmm. she said, "See that Tippy Building? I don't like that." <laughs> like she must have been three. Um, but then doing something about it, right? Taking them on plantings, taking them on campus cleanups. Let's paint the neighbor's fence, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. They've they've been the ones who took it upon themselves. We adopted our block, but then they went with their friend across the street and developed a uh, We Care for Nature Club. And so they are going out there picking up litter and advocating for tree plantings. I didn't tell them to do that, but it was everything I think we've been instilling in them. So it's awesome. What I love about that story is not only is that a culture of servant leadership for the next generation, also they did their own community engagement and involvement then, right? They brought other people to the table yes. uh, to help make it a community effort. So maybe maybe talk about that a little bit. As you look at back at your work at KIB, um, bringing together communities to accomplish big objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, what in that portfolio of work, all of all of which I'm sure you're really proud of, <laughs> what, what do you point to as one thing, one story of the community coming together that was totally successful was? Yes, Purpose Park in the Hawthorne neighborhood. Uh, one of my favorite projects there uh, when I was at KIB was was working with Danny Marquez and Eduardo Luna mm-hmm. and all the people in the in the uh, Hawthorne neighborhood there to really make this space really wonderful. Um, it was a vacant lot, mm-hmm. formerly a home. There was a fire. Home was taken down. So there was this vacant lot there that wasn't being used. And unknown to each other, 
another group in the neighborhood, along with Danny, were looking at the space and like thinking, it's right across from my home. What can I do to make this something better? And they reached out to Keeping It Up as Beautiful. We awarded them a green space application. And through that process, we brought together all kinds of people. We hired Will Marquez with, uh, with, with Purpose Design, Brian McCutcheon, who's now with Ignition Arts. We are, worked with the Arts Council. We worked with neighbors. There was a gentleman uh, two doors up who did not speak a word of English, but it was so amazing to get to know him. He was bringing his skills and art to this project as well. And all these people working together, and we created a space that resulted in a casita in the back of the lot, a, a 1954 Bonneville that we found at Pick Apart <laughs> Auto uh, Junkyard, uh, picked out this uh, this uh, vehicle that was not in good condition at all. They donated it to us, and uh, Brian at Ignition Arts took it and rehabbed it, and we put this car, like Cadillac Ranch, but has a whole different story, <laughs> into the ground, standing up, and today, when you go there, you can see this and the whole idea behind purpose park is to help provide a new purpose to people especially younger kids who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives Mm -hmm. and this whole purpose park was repurposing things the car the benches that would be reused people's lives Mm -hmm. bringing them giving them a sense of purpose and today you go there and not only do you see a vibrant beautiful space with this great art four seasons of interest native plants and trees but you also see a space that's used. The community plans chili cook-offs, Easter egg hunts, simple gatherings. They get the kids together and they talk about life and they philosophize. What more can you ask for from a green space than that kind of giving back to the community? And here you have an example of all kinds of people coming together. Danny and, and KIB team and Brian, all these folks coming together um, to give back to the community. And, and that green space is doing exactly that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you have a large, complicated group of stakeholders, right, when they all come to the table day one, uh, there may not be shared vision, right? There may be lots of different visions, lots of different ways that a project could go. You talk about what you've learned about having run a fair amount of community meetings myself. What do you do when you don't have consensus in the room? How do you build that so that we have a shared vision and we end up with a purpose park? Absolutely. One example of that is when you're in the field of preservation, you are very rarely coming into a room with people of like minds. Um, it's such a complicated <laughs> and controversial issue sometimes, it seems. I had one county commissioner once tell me, when it, before we even did introductions, he said, I hate historical things. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good. This is going well. This is going great. I'm loving this. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, of course, you know, I could have flown off the handle and gotten mad. No, you know, no. But trying to keep calm, trying to see things. And I do this a lot. Trying to see things from the other person's perspective, sometimes to a fault almost, you know, like then I become, you try not to become paralyzed to see the benefits of both sides. But you can always take things together and build a compromise. And I think that's something that on this day and age, it seems to have been lost a little bit, trying to find that balance that, yes, you believe in this thing and you believe in this thing. But if we come together and kind of think through it, we can each get something out of an, out of an agreement. And I think that works for uh, all these things. So whether we're creating a green space, well, on the surface, we might all think, well, it's just putting in some plants and trees and some art and we're all good. But getting all of the voices heard Having the empathy to understand where those folks are coming from. They have a whole different life experience than I do. So I can't necessarily, like I was saying before, apply my values to them. They have to apply and vocalize their feelings about what they want to see happen in a project and and share that with us. And then my job is to help serve and respond to that. 
That word empathy is is such a good one uh, and does seem really missing from most of our communication nationally and, and maybe even locally some, sometimes. So talk about that ethos and how it translates to what you're going to be doing at Schmidt and with, with our owners. Absolutely. The last few years have been eye-opening for me, maybe for the nation and for others, but uh, we've learned a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and um, making sure that we understand that we have our own blinders and uh, blind spots and that we have to have that empathy to understand the other side and where they come from and and that sort of thing is so important. And that is something I think we are all learning. I'm certainly still learning about that. So how do I take that and then apply it? I'm, I'm coming into this position with extensive engagement and experience working with communities. I'm also coming into a position where I'm working with architects and engineers who know a whole lot more about those kind of things than I do, perhaps. <laughs> so, you know, that balance of being that kind of broker, so to speak, between these two is going to be a really interesting experience. But I do believe that I can help bring to this position that idea of making sure that the voice of the client or our customer but also helping that customer, that client, understand their role in the community. Because when they're building their structure or they're doing their project, that impacts others. And so what are the connections that we can help build and, can, and, and introduce them to some certain folks in the neighborhood that can help provide their voice to help make that project a whole lot better? And that's something I can, I, I can certainly bring to this and I'm excited about. Bringing that back to the team here to Schmidt will be wonderful as well to help make sure that we're being responsive and creating some um, some projects that are unmatched from others in the community. That's awesome. Thanks. So, so if you look back on 21 years of working with communities, mm. um, what what would you tell your younger self now? What did you wish you had known when you started in this career of preservation, communication, consensus building? Right on. First thing probably was, don't worry, you're going to learn it. <laughs> good advice, good yeah. advice. Offer I, yourself a little grace. Exactly. I keep trying to do that to myself right now. Um, and so that, that was one of it. The next thing is probably just to make sure that you continue to see both sides, to make sure you develop those abilities of clear communication and, and try to, to emphasize that there are ways that we can all be working together to kind of balance that out. And come across and, and, and get the get the hang of things uh, quickly. You're talking about extending the same sort of grace to yourself that you've been talking about the rest of this the rest of this conversation, extending grace to everybody else too, right? To mm-hmm. let them come to a process and learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that that's something that that I've been thinking about a lot in the past two and a half years now is that that idea of offering ourselves grace, which goes directly to health and wellness and, and self-care. So mm-hmm. uh, something that we've been exploring is as a leader, sometimes that gets left out, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're leading your family, you're leading at, at church or in your uh, not-for-profits and you're leading at work. What do you do to take take care of you? How do you put your own oxygen mask on uh, before you help others? Right on, no doubt. First off, I uh, try to continue to remember the one thing that's like really <laughs> most important to me in my life, and that is my family, my Extended family, of course, but really Emily, Celia, and now my, my, my family, just going around and traveling with them and experiencing life, making sure that I can help pass on to Celia and Nell what I think is important and, and making sure that everything I, I do, you know, make sure that that's kind of enforcing that. Um, but of course, you know, taking that time on Sunday morning, getting a cup of coffee with a good book and relaxing and just kind of recentering. Mm-hmm. 
that's what I like to do. Getting out and walking, uh, maybe taking a walk in the woods and reconnecting. That is so, so very important to us. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I have uh, one question that I always ask everybody at the end of uh, all of these conversations, but what one specifically for you. So I hate asking people for favorites. If you have a favorite preservation project in your whole, all of your years of doing this, what would it be? Okay. Well, I know I have mentioned uh, the Richmond Depot and yeah. Daniel Burnham. I absolutely love that one because uh, after a $5 pizza, we were able to get Roger Richard to convince <laughs> him in a multi-million dollar development. But while the depot is a great story and a wonderful building, one that really sticks out in my mind is a project with uh, Hayes Arboretum also in Richmond. This was a landscape. So what was important about this space is that it was one of the last vestiges of trees and natural environment along the National Road. It had a track designed by the uh, same designer of the Indy 500. And the Hayes Arboretum wanted to sell this property off to a development for a Coles and so forth. We felt like we really needed to save this property. The mayor of Richmond agreed, wanted to do this. But during one of the city council meetings, one of the councilors had mentioned, well, Hayes needs to do this because they need their financial funding. So it's kind of like cutting off your hand to save the body. And I thought about that afterward. Oh, and then they made the reference to the hiker. If you might recall, Aaron Ralston, who got stuck in a rock in Utah. And, uh, I thought to myself afterward, I, that, that's not a good analogy. I, I feel like there's a better way we can think about this. So I actually did some research, reached out to Aaron Ralston and said, hey, Aaron, uh, your, your story here is being used in a way that I don't think is, a, is appropriate. What do you think? And he agreed. He's like, no, this is not how I want my story to be shared. So he wrote a letter. I presented this letter, read it out loud during the next city council, <laughs> and it was a, probably one of the best moments of my preservation career. Um, loved it. I, we unfortunately still lost the fight. Um, and so in a way, it teaches a lesson that, you know, even the losses um, can be wins in a way. And that is a win for me, even though we lost it in the end, the physical the, the emotional, the, the, the psychological, the partnerships and the people that I met through that whole advocacy process was just wonderful. So I love that you went to the source material on that. That's, that's, <laughs> that is perfect. Perfect research. I loved it. Uh, so I, my other question that I ask everybody is what are you reading right now or that you've in the past year that you mm-hmm. would really recommend everybody pick up immediately? Absolutely. Um, well, I finished it. It was the last book I read last year. But I would recommend this one. It's called How Do You Live by Jensaburo Yoshino. It's a book that was written in the 30s. But uh, I don't know if you like Studio Ghibli. Um, Hayao Miyazaki, he's going to be, this is his last movie, he says. Well, not that he said that before. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's a great book about ethics and the way we should be choosing to live. Words of wisdom or things that I try to live by, as you were talking about earlier, was one thing that comes to my mind is uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry's quote from The Little Prince. It's only with the heart that one can see clearly. What's essential is invisible to the eye. And I think the, the words that um, Yoshino talks about in, in his book continue that philosophy. So I would encourage everyone to check that one out. Okay, so it sounds like we have a couple field trips that we need to go on immediately, and everybody's got a little a little reading to pick up just in time for the, the holidays. Love it. Um, thank you. Thanks for spending the time having this conversation today. Welcome to the family. I feel like I always learn something that I can use to make my own leadership journey uh, more successful, so really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be part of this team and to, to bring all this to, to you guys, so thank you so much for having me. 
awesome. This has been Luminate, navigating the unknown through creative leadership. Thank you for listening and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be reminded of new episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Schmidt Associates and at Schmidt underscore Associ on Twitter.